Last night, uh, we opened up, I opened up just by setting a, a framework that we're going to be building on, on the sanctuary. And we talked about the daily experience. And the daily began in the, with the morning sacrifice at the altar. The priest washed his hands and feet, preparing him for service, always making sure that there was oil in the menorah. And the, the, the presence, the bread of presence was there and putting the incense on the golden altar. This constituted the daily experience. When the high priest came into the most holy, it was known as the yearly. But the daily is what we talked about last night and we did it uh, through prayer. The sanctuary is a fascination for me, as I mentioned, uh, because it was given to us by God to understand the plan of salvation. It's to understand it. And uh, the sanctuary reveals to us that the plan of salvation is broken into three parts. The outer court reveals to us justification, the holy place, sanctification, and the most holy, glorification. Uh, the outer court is teaching us how to become a Christian, and the holy and the most holy, how to remain one. Very important. Uh, the outer court teaches us victory over the record of sin. The holy place teaches us victory over the power of sin. And the most holy teaches us victory over the presence of sin. And uh, this is, uh, as I mentioned to you, an interest to me. I, I shared with you last night. By the way, I just want to share this one thing. I am a Glendale Academy graduate. Do we have any Glendale Academy graduates here today? We have a few. All right. And... Uh, I am a Southern California product, and I also graduated from La Sierra. I don't know if we have any La Sierrians here with us today as well. Praise the Lord. Good to see you all. And uh, the Lord is so good to us. Um, so the sanctuary reveals to us this process. I shared with you that um, the only interest was on the east side. And we talked about why that is. Um, we all know that the competing religion of the day was sun worship. And they faced the east. And so God did not want his people facing the east, so they had to put their backs to the east to face west. But there is another reason. When Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, they went east. And so the way back is west. And so the sanctuary reveals to us that process to come back. And it will end on the Day of Atonement, the Day of At-One-Ment, when the Creator and the creation are reunited. I look forward to that day. And I believe that day is closer than we think. I, uh, I want to begin with a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to do three things. One, I'm going to ask you to kneel with me before the Master. Two, I, I will ask at one point, I'm going to give you a moment of silence to pray for me and for yourselves. Let's kneel. Most kind and gracious Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the incredible gift you gave to us in your Son, 
And Father, you have illustrated for us your plan to redeem us through this simple structure, truths so, so, so deep and so incredibly sublime, Father, that it'll take all eternity and yet we'll never reach the bottom. But Father, there is an understanding that we must have if we're going to be ready to meet you when you come. Father, I, I thank you for that precious blood. I pray that it'll be applied to us now and that your righteousness will cover us so that this humble room will be a sanctuary where your presence can dwell. We pray, Lord, that you will shut us in now in that secret place of the Most High, that this hour now will be yours. Father, I pray, you know the instrument you have to work with. I am pleading with you that self will be hid in Christ and that only Jesus will be heard. No one has come here to listen to a man, but to listen to Jesus, and that's what we want to hear. And so, Lord, I've given to each an opportunity now, Father, to pray for this instrument, but also for themselves, so that we will be ready to hear what you want to say. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of approaching you. And you have said that when we ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that you will do just that. And so we are requesting now for a double outpouring. Thank you, Savior. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. The sanctuary reveals to us God's plan to save us. And it begins with the death of the Son of God. This tells us quite eloquently that God is very serious about dealing with sin. In fact, when the angel announced the birth of Christ or the pregnancy of Mary, he said to her, and, she, uh, and, and it's recorded in Matthew 1.21, and she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name for he will save his people from. That's very significant. From and not in is extremely significant to us. There is confusion today regarding the work of Christ and this issue of sin. There are those that teach that God will give victory to his people prior to the coming of Jesus and others who say that his people will continue to sin up to the second coming. Both statements cannot be true. Only one can be true. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we saying when we say that we'll be sinning up to the second coming? It's interesting to note, we must consider that when the angels of heaven, you know, sin is rebellion. And when the angels in heaven rebelled, they were expelled. Is it possible for us to go into heaven that way? Today we're going to be looking at the daily, not so much from the standpoint of what the priesthood did, but in a practical sense. What does it look like today in my life and in yours? That's what I want to know, and that's what we'll be looking at today. Question number one, what is, and by the way, the format I use is Q&A. As a teacher, I find this easiest for me, but not only that, but it gives you something later to study and to share. 
What is God's will concerning his people? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says to us, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and what? And honor. You see, God has set us aside for holy use. God has called us to be holy. I appreciated that hymn this morning. How appropriate. God has called us to be holy. Before we come to Jesus, before we invite Jesus in our life, we are anything but holy. And as we go through life, we are pretty much the architects of our own lives. We decide what we do, who we do it with, when we do it, where we go. We decide how we're going to dress, what we're going to eat. But when we give our lives to the Lord Jesus, we are inviting him to sit upon the throne of our life and to guide us. And so in our hearts, that throne, the direction that we go is determined by who's sitting on that throne. Are you with me so far? This is extremely important because when we ask Christ into our life, there is a change in our mindset. And there is now a desire to surrender the will to God. But that certainly doesn't mean it's going to be an easy task. It's about allowing God to work in the repentant sinner. You know, I often hear people say, I'm going to share with you a pet peeve of mine. And I, I realize it's a matter of semantics, but stay with me. I think you'll understand where I'm driving at. But people often say that God accepts me just the way I am. And I humbly submit to you that that's actually not true. God receives me just the way I am, but loves me too much to, to leave me there. Are you with me? The gospel is about transformation. It is about change. Think of the gospel like a shower. The shower will, like, will receive you just the way you are, but it's not going to leave you that way. It's going to cleanse you. And that is what it is all about. Let's take a look at number two. In order to enjoy sanctification, what attitude must one have towards Jesus and sin? In 1 John 3, 3, it says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus becomes the focus of the life, the goal. You know, quite often we compare ourselves with others. That is a fatal mistake. We are to compare our lives with only one, and that is Jesus. The next verse, Exodus 33, 13. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way, that I may know you, and that I might find grace in your sight. Do you think that's a prayer that God wants to answer? Do you pray that prayer? Do we ask the Lord to reveal to us those areas in our lives that we have not surrendered? Early in my walk, I was the age of many of you here in this room. I was living in Wilmington, North Carolina, newly married, and I, was just, I had just come back to the Lord and was beginning to come, go to church. And I was sitting one Sunday morning watching the football game, something I don't do anymore. I have other interests now, much more important. And as I was watching my game, minding my own business, my wife, uh, we'd been married at this point, we were just entering into our second year of marriage, she walked in the living room and pointed her finger right in my face. And she said, I need you to be the priest of this house. And then she walked down the hallway and disappeared in the room. Now, mind you, I was enjoying my morning. Uh, 
I, I hadn't done anything wrong. I was just watching the game. And, uh, and of course, it totally ruined the game for me. Um, I picked up my Bible. I didn't know what to do. I went for a walk. I picked up my Bible and just went walking. And I was saying to the Lord, I didn't do anything. Um, what was that all about? And as, I, and as I thought about it, I began to realize, you know, I really didn't know what that meant. I'd heard that expression. I'd even used it. But what did that mean, to be the priest of your house? I mentioned that I was new in the faith, and I, and I was holding this very Bible in my hand, and I was looking at it, and I thought to myself, is it possible that this book will teach me how to be a husband? It was a new thought. And so I got my concordance, and anything... Uh, any, anywhere in the scriptures where the word uh, husband appeared, um, I, I studied it because I wanted to be the priest of my home. And, and I came across a text in Ephesians chapter 5. I, I, will you turn with me there? The story I'm about to tell you is true. I wish I can change the name to protect myself. <laughs> Because it's a pathetic story. Anyway, here goes. So, in Ephesians 5, verse 22, I came across this text. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And I looked at this text and I realized that this was the problem right here. If my wife would only submit to me, we wouldn't have any trouble in our marriage. I told you this was a pathetic story. So armed with the word, I sought out my wife. And I showed to her, and I reminded her that this priest of the home thing wasn't my idea, but hers. And I showed her the text. Imagine my surprise when my wife now wouldn't cooperate with me on anything and wouldn't even talk to me. Now I was concerned because now she was rebelling against scripture. And... There was a, a very godly man in, uh, in my church, a very godly man who taught me about Jesus. It was at his feet that I learned about him. And I called him because I needed somebody to have sympathy for me. <laughs> and uh, so we met at the church, and I shared with him my sad story. And when I was done, he looked at me, and he said, George, I don't think it's your wife that has the problem. He says, let me ask you a question. He said, George, if your wife was married to Jesus, would she submit to him? And I thought about that. I said, she would. He said, that's your problem. You're not like Jesus. And you know, it was at that moment, at that very moment that I realized that this thing about being like Jesus is not some pie in the sky, wish upon a star, Let's see how close we can get. It's a reality. It is Christ's life through me. I had a whole different perspective, a paradigm shift on this thing we talk about so often, but spend so little time engaging of being like Christ. You know, when we ask Jesus to show us where in our lives we're not surrendered, He's not going to bring an angel with a clipboard at our front door. Rather, he's going to use a family member, more than likely your spouse or your children or your parents or a sibling. It will be someone that will require us to humble ourselves, to accept it, 
or we'll be like the Jews in the Old Testament and stone the prophets. And so the Lord revealed to me that I was not patient with my wife, that when I didn't get my way, I wasn't kind. And there was work that needed to be done to make me like Jesus. So let's take a look at that work today. Number two, excuse me, number three. So how is this accomplished? How is Christ formed within? And this is probably the most awesome illustration given to us. This is an experience of the, when Jesus and the disciples were leaving the upper room. Jesus was heading for his destiny with the cross and he found a grapevine and he said this, John 15, four through six, as he looked at the grapevine, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now when we talk about fruit of the Spirit, we know we're talking about love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, <clears throat> I drew a grapevine here. It's, I know that some of you who grow grapes are going to come and correct me later. I know that it's not exactly the way it's supposed to be, but you get the idea. But uh, I grew up in the city, so I don't know a lot about grapes, but, or grapevines. But uh, let me share with you uh, what you will not hear, what you will not hear if you were in a, gra a vineyard. If you went in a vineyard and you got a microphone and you kind of held it up to the branch, you, this is not what you would hear, okay? Grape. 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 Branches don't produce the grape. The grape production is a result of being connected to the vine. Are you with me? This is a byproduct of that. Are you with me? It is a byproduct of that. The, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Are you with me? So often, we try to do God's work and forget to do ours. And that is to stay connected, to spend time with the Lord. You know, our minds operate off natural law. And I know you know this, the law of, of gravity. I don't believe in gravity. That didn't matter, did it? <laughs> it didn't matter what I think or I believe. There is, a there is a law that governs the mind. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm sure a number of you know where I'm going. Because what Paul is revealing to us here is natural law. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. By the way, if you go to James, that mirror is God's law, which is a transcript of his character. 
are being what? Transformed into the same image from glory to, to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. So in other words, if I am going to have Christ formed within, that connection is going to take place how? It's going to, be, it's going to take place through the daily experience. Let's turn the page. Number four, what medium is this abiding change wrought, the sanctifying process that the holy place tells us about, it's, that the sanctuary tells us about? It is brought through the daily. And what is that? Number one, it's coming to the brazen altar every day before Jesus and confessing our sin before him, our failure when we did not rightly represent him. By the way, well, no, I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll Expound on that later. But, but it's coming to Christ every day. It's that water experience, that baptism, that recommitting our lives to Jesus. It's not just once. It's every day. It's every day committing our lives, renewing our commitment to Christ. Every day. It's every day coming to Jesus and asking him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. It's every day going to Jesus through the word of God, the bread of life. There finding the power that the Holy Spirit works to, in, to bring about this change within our life. And it's spending time with him in prayer. That is the daily experience. And it takes place every day. And this is how God transforms you and me. Because by beholding, we become. You know, it's very interesting. I, I, I've been a morning person my whole life. Uh, much to the chagrin of my roommates over the years. But a funny thing happened the day I decided to have a devotional life. I suddenly couldn't get out of bed. Have you had that experience? You know, you realize what's happening here is simply this. Going to church on Saturday and preaching the health message and paying tithes is a description of those who crucified Christ. They did the right things, but they did not know the right person. You know, in my... In my Pauline class that I teach at Wachita, I have a lot of uh, Adventist young people. Many of them are uh, children of workers. And I, uh, I challenged them this, the beginning of this year, and I asked them a question. I asked them, what is a Christian? How would you answer that? I asked them, take out a piece of paper. You've just uh, landed in a, in, a, in a foreign city. You've stepped out, and somebody comes up to you and asks you who you are, and you tell them, and you tell them you're a Christian. They ask you, what is a Christian? How would you answer? And I got a lot of interesting uh, responses. Vast majority of them were behavioral based. Christian does this, a Christian doesn't do that, a Christian does this, doesn't do that. Dear friend, a Christian is someone who knows and loves Jesus. That is a Christian. And then your behavior will change based on that. Does that make sense? But that's what a Christian is. And so the abiding process the sanctification process is a result of the abiding relationship which takes place daily. That's why it's called the daily. Let's take a look at the note right below that section. This is the daily holy place experience. It was for Israel of old and it is for us today. While with penitence and humble trust we meditate upon Jesus through his word, whom our sins have pierced and our sorrows have burdened, we may learn to walk in his footsteps. By beholding him, we become changed into his divine likeness. And when this work is uh, proceeded in us, we will claim no, produced in us, we will claim no righteousness of our own, but will exalt Jesus while hanging our helpless souls upon his merits. This is what God wants to do in you and me. Let's take a look at number five. 
Where does the power to obey come from? Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works, where? In you, both to will, that's the desire, and to what? To do for his good pleasure. When I uh, first gave my life to Jesus, one of, the, one of the many issues I had was a foul mouth. I had a terrible mouth. Um, people, my friends told me they knew what my last words were going to be. If uh, just before the bus hit me or, or what have you, uh, if you scared me or dropped something on my foot, it was very predictable what was going to come forth. And, uh, and the thing is, when I, I, when I gave my life to Jesus and I began reading my Bible, I came upon uh, the text that said that uh, God does not want any corrupt communication to escape our lips. And of course, this is what Peter did to throw off suspicion that he was a follower of Christ. And, um, and so I said, okay, well, if that's what I've got to do, then I just need to stop cursing. So that was my New Year's resolution for two years. <laughs> and the second year of trying, um, I finally went to the Lord one day in my discouragement, and I said, you know, Lord, there is no beef between me and you. I don't disagree. It's true. It's, it's wrong, and I want to stop, but I can't stop. I've tried. And I said, so Lord, I'm going to ask you to do this in me. I give you permission to do whatever it takes to rid this of me. And he did it. He did it. I remember being on a, on a phone call with a friend of mine who was probably the only person I knew who had a worse mouth than I did. And when he and I got together, things got really colorful. <laughs> and, and the whole time I was talking on the phone, I was going, wow, that's amazing. Uh, so, so, yeah, okay, well, how, how about tomorrow? How's that looking? And, uh, okay, thank you, bye. And I remember thinking, that was awful. And then I realized I didn't curse. And I don't know, and it was like three months, I don't know where from the moment I prayed that prayer to that phone call that the, that, that took place. Amen. You can scare me now. It's okay. <laughs> you can drop something on my foot. And if I'm about to die, my last words are going to be Jesus. Not cursing. You know, while pastoring in Kansas, I was, uh, I was looking for a, a, at a used vehicle, and this car salesman came out, and we got to talking, and I didn't have a lot of time. I was on my way to a camp meeting, and as we were talking, um, he started talking about religious things, and I realized he was a, he was a JW. And so uh, we kept talking, and I began to share Jesus with him, and he suddenly cut me right off. He said, you're a Seventh-day Adventist, aren't you? And so evidently he had some experience. And I said, yes, I am. And he said to me, you know, I, I would be one, he says, but the law of God can't be kept. Now, that's, those were his words. I didn't have a lot of time, and I just stood there looking at him, and I prayed. I said, Lord, give me something for this guy because I've got to go. And, uh, and you know, um, there's a lot in my past I'm very much ashamed of. I am so thankful for the blood of Christ. And, and you know that in that panoramic view, you're not going to see what I did because the blood of Jesus covers all that. Amen. And, uh, but I'm ashamed. And so when I give my testimony, I just, I just in, a, in, a, in a short sentence, I, I just say I plunge the depths of sin. I grew up in Los Angeles, and, uh, and that's about as far as I need to go with my testimony in that aspect because I don't want to plant a seed in anyone else's mind. 
And uh, so anyway, but I did something with this man I hadn't done with anyone before nor since. I listed everything that had me bound. I said, I used to do this, 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 and I used to do this. This ruled me and that and this and this. Now none of it does. Explain to me why. Because we serve a God that is greater than sin. That's why. Now having said that, I don't claim to have arrived. I do not. There is much yet to finish in my life. But I keep looking to Jesus and heading for higher ground. Amen? Amen. Number six. How does God do this? Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. This is amazing. Now, everywhere the word I appears, I'm going to let you say it, okay? Because this word, this is God speaking. Listen carefully. Go ahead. First one. We'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. We'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We'll put my spirit within you. And look at this. Cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments, and what? Do them. Hebrews 10, 16, keep doing the eyes for me. This is the covenant that will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will write them. I love what Ellen White has to say about this in Desire of Ages 668, the quote right there. Follow it carefully and soak in what she's saying. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And if we, what's the next word? Another word for that, by the way, is permission. If we consent, he, Jesus, will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we, will, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing His service. What's the key? When we know God, as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, Watch this. Sin will become hateful to us. I used to think, well, before I do, I want to share with you an illustration. And this is a flashlight, a mighty one. Can I use you to hold this for me? Thank you so much. I'll tell you what to do in a moment. If you will shine that right here on my chest. I have a cup in my hand. Okay, shine it right here. Or rather, perfect. Go ahead. Dim it a little more. Oh, that's good. That's perfect. This cup is me. And as I look in this cup, uh, it's filled with darkness. I give my life to Christ, and I see that I am not like him at all. So we go about, I, I think, you know, I, this guy has got to come out. And Okay, so I go about trying to get rid of it. Oh, I know what's wrong. I'm not trying hard enough. That's what it is. You know, there's no hope for me. I must have been born to be destroyed, I guess, because I really do want to do what pleases God, but it's not happening. What advice would you give me at this point? So turn the cup towards the light. 
you know, there's some light in there now, but unfortunately, I, I noticed there's some shadows. What else would you advise me to do? And this is what he's after. Go ahead and turn on the lights. Thank you. I used to think that God would rip sin out of my heart. I have discovered that what he does instead is that I come to know him. He works with me until I see sin for what it is, and then I want to vomit it up. There was a young man who uh, stowed away on a ship. The ship was heading out to sea. This incident took place uh, London. The boat was leaving Liverpool. There was a storm, but it didn't seem that bad. The captain was experienced, and he felt that they would do just fine through the storm. So they were going out. They didn't get out too far. Uh, when the storm began to intensify, uh, water began coming in. The boilers were starting to get into trouble, and finally he lost power on his ship, and he knew that he was going to lose the vessel. This captain cared very much for his crew, and, um, and so what he did is he immediately gave the orders to abandon ship. People began to leave. And uh, he supervised and made sure that everyone was off safely. The boats were away. He, like a good captain, he remained on the vessel. As he began to, pull, to go over the railing to jump off, he looked, and under the stairwell, he saw movement. And as he went over to the stairwell, he saw a young boy who, had stole, who had, was a stowaway. That's illegal. And this was a habit of his. And, uh, and he looked at the young man and knew that his life was in peril. Now, the captain had a life preserver. All of the passengers did. There were none left. The young man did not have one. Without saying a word, the captain took his off and put it on the boy. He walked him to the edge of the, of the railing, and as far as he could, he threw him. Later, when all the passengers and the crew were on the shore, they took inventory to make sure that all were there they discovered that one wasn't. The captain didn't make it. When the announcement was made, the boy heard that, fell to his knees, sobbing, saying, he died for me. I want to ask you a question. Do you think he got victory over stowing away? It's as we come to know God and understand more fully the sacrifice made on our behalf that sin begins to lose its power over the life. It is in knowing Him, in knowing God. Number seven, when united to Jesus, what is our duty? Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not things on earth. We're living in the last moments, minutes. My young friends, I know we can be busy in school, but if we're paying any attention. See, the thing is that, that for those of us who have been, have been alive a little longer, we see that what's happening is anything but normal. This is the end. And it being the end, the prince of darkness has devised unnumbered distractions for us. As long as we don't spend time with Jesus, he wins, and he knows it. Imagine, if you would for a moment, what kind of Christians we would be 
If the time we spent on Facebook, we spent with Jesus. Or even daydreaming about relationships. Jesus has counsel for us in Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and look how it ends, and all these things shall be added unto you. There are things that are pulling at us that really are not as necessary as we think they are. Sacrificing our devotional life so we can get our studies done will be fatal. Are you with me? It's not optional. We need Jesus every single day. The sad reality is that much of the Christian world today is very willing and comfortable with living its spotless life apart from God. And it shows. In 2 Timothy 3, in verse 8, Paul warned us of this. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of? Right here suddenly is where our head's supposed to snap back because he wasn't describing the world in the end. He was describing the church in the end. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. It appears that Christianity in the end has forgotten what John told us in John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And truth isn't just some concept. It's a person. Did you hear me? Truth is a person. You know, when we talk about doctrine, very often our doctrines have been taught in a way that has omitted Christ. And it was never supposed to be that way. Every doctrine is a revelation of Christ. Everyone. When you look at the Sabbath, that's what tells us our relationship to Him. He's our Creator. When you look at the one that talks about not a, thou shalt not commit adultery, it's telling us that God values relationships and family. When we see the one that that says, thou shalt not lie, God values truth. Every command of God is a revelation of who He is. The, the, when we come, when we have an aha moment and discover a new truth, what's actually happening is God is inviting us into a deeper relationship with Himself by revealing more of Himself. But when we reject the doctrine, we're rejecting the invitation and the person. And until we teach truth that way, our Sunday keepers are not going to see what we've got. They won't see it. Truth is a person. It is not just a concept. Let's look at the note right below number eight. The power to transform lives comes only from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But when we love the world, we lose our abiding with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know how often when I look at the car I want to buy or the clothes I want to wear, who am I trying to please? It's something, it's a question I have to answer. Is it for Jesus? Let's continue. Number nine, 
As Jesus works to transform me, what is to be my response? Luke 22, 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? But thine be done. This is the surrender. This is surrender. When we see our will in God's conflicting, we ask God to help us to surrender for his will to be done. This is where the rich young ruler failed. He didn't do that. By the way, what would have happened if the rich young ruler had done this instead? When Jesus pointed out his stuff, have you ever had your stuff pointed out? If, if, when Jesus pointed out his stuff, his sin, what if he had done this? Lord, it's true. I don't want to give it up. Will you help me? What would have happened? Would Jesus have abandoned him? No. No. Our stuff is going to be pointed out. Our response is critical. It's asking God and giving him permission to finish that, to remove it from us. Number 10, how is the state of being brought about? Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By the way, that word transformed in the Greek is where we get our word metamorphosis. Did you know that? It's not just a change of character, it's a change of appearance. That when we give our lives to Christ and we're allowing Him to lead us, not only are we going to act different from the world, we're going to look different. And that's okay. Because we're doing it for Him. When I was, uh, I had to do a wedding and uh, in, in, it was with my cousin. She uh, is not a Christian. Her husband is not either. So they were equally yoked. And so... <laughs> I saw this as an opportunity to do some witnessing for them, and I said, yes, I'd do the wedding. And uh, he was Hindu, and uh, they came to the United States, but he, he, he gave up all that. So as he was taking me places, um, I, w I would drive with him, and I, would, I flew to Florida for this. And uh, I sought opportunities to witness to him, and, and as I began, he put his hand up and he said to me, I I'm really not interested. I really don't want to talk about Christianity. So I was frustrated because that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> and uh, so I was praying to the Lord to give me an opportunity. And, and uh, my, cousin, my, 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 my niece's husband got in the car with us, and he starts asking me all kinds of questions about Christianity. <laughs> so I'm answering his questions, but I'm talking to John. And he was asking me questions about the Sabbath, about the way he ate, and why. And I was explaining all this to him. Well, anyway, on Friday, John says to me, look, we're getting together, uh, a number of us, would you like to come with us? And I said, for a gathering for food. And I said, sure, I'll do that. So I went, and I wasn't even thinking, wedding, guys, everybody getting together. And I thought, what have I done? And so they're together, and there's this, they're all partying. And I thought, okay, so I just left, and I was on the outskirts, far away from the music and everything that was going on, and just talking to people on the outskirts. And, uh, and as as I was looking at my watch, the sun was, was beginning to set. I came to him and I said, John, the Sabbath is coming and I need to go back. And he took me back home. Anyway, by the end of the weekend, as he was taking me to the airport after the wedding, he said this to me. He said, my brother is a pastor. I won't say the denomination. He drinks, he smokes, he curses. His life is just like mine. He tells me I need Jesus. I tell him that He's no different than me. I don't need anything he has. But he said, you're different. 
You're trying to do what that book says. And I submit to you that that is the indictment against Christianity today. The world was, will respond. The problem is nobody is demonstrating it. And we have to be more concerned, dear friends, with what Jesus thinks of us than what our peers do. Souls are watching. And they will respond when they see the truth, when we make the choice to live the truth. Let's take a look at number 11. In all these things, what should be our mindset? Philippians 2.13, let this mind be in you, which was also where? In Christ Jesus. And that happens through the abiding experience as we spend time with Jesus each day. That takes place more and more. Number 12, to what extent must our deeds be done with reference to God's glory? 2 Corinthians 10.31, whatever therefore you eat, or drink, forgive me, but that includes caffeine. By the way, caffeine was not in the same category as dairy. It was placed in the category with alcohol and drugs. It messes with the brain, and that's the only way we're going to access and communicate with the Holy Spirit. The Satan, Satan is a master chemist. Let's not make his job easy. Sorry. Whatever you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do it to all to the glory of God. And I love a uh, pastor gave coined this expression, Godians, living for the audience of God. I think we need to take up that word. Number 13, how much must we give up to become a true disciple of Jesus? Luke 14, 33, so likewise, whatsoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And this is very interesting because the only thing God asks us to give up is that which will destroy us. But what did Jesus give up? Everything that was good. You know, we often whine and bellyache about what we got to give up. But if we spend time with Jesus and see him on that cross, dear friend, there will be no courage to complain. None. It's not just about knowing the right things. It's knowing the right person. Then knowing the right things matter. 14. If we thus follow Jesus, how will Satan respond? John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said unto you? The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they had kept my saying, they will keep yours also. You know what? The devil's going to get mad, and I'm okay with that. If the devil's not mad at you, it's because he owns you. The only people the devil's mad at are those he doesn't have. That's why at the very end, he's mad at a small group to have the commandments of Jesus, the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's the only group he's angry at. I want the devil mad at me. I don't want a happy devil on my case. 15, will the devil allow God to do this wonderful work in your lives unopposed? Revelation 13, 6, then he opened his mouth to blaspheme against God, to blaspheme his name, his what? His tabernacle and those who dwell in it. The devil hates the sanctuary. And that's why we have many people running around and I'm sure it's in ignorance and they mean well that say there is no sanctuary in heaven. No, dear friend, there is. There absolutely is. And if we do some research and study, there's no way to arrive at any other conclusion. It is the epicenter of God's attempt to save you and me, and we've got to be locked in. He's warring against it. Number 17, when Christians allow Jesus to finish the work in them, what will be the result? Matthew 24, 14. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The end hasn't come because this hasn't happened. But when this happened, the end come. It's not just preaching it. 
It's living it. There was a man, I remember the story I ran across uh, of a missionary. The story takes place in the 1800s who goes overseas. And on his way there, he learns of a captive aboard the vessel who uh, is going to be punished for, for a crime. It's going to be a death penalty. It's a death penalty for him. And he's staying in his, in his cell. And, uh, and the missionary, upon hearing about this guy being on board, what would you do? Wouldn't you go downstairs and try to win him for Jesus? So that's what he did. He went down there and gave him the gospel presentation, and the man listened. And when he was done, he said to him, I don't believe it. I don't believe any of it. He said, if what you told me was true, I would crawl across glass to tell the world. Evidently, he was surrounded by Christians who weren't sharing. And it's hard to share an experience we don't have. But God is willing to give it to us if we want it. If we meet with him, how often? Daily. In this struggle, who is more powerful, the devil or Jesus? John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love that. By the way, God only allows that which will perfect his work in my life. He never allows anything else. So we can thank him through our tears, through our struggles. Amen? 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. And 19, therefore, how confident can I be that Jesus will be successful in my life? In other words, in finishing the work he's begun. And, and forgive me for using the Wymouth uh, New Testament translation, but I think it just nails it. For of this I am confident. I like that word. That word is very critical for what's coming next. For of this I am confident, that he who began a good work within you will go on to perfect it in preparation for the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Yes. And are we willing to allow him to do it? Yes. This is the daily experience. This is the walk with Jesus. It is daily. This is the sanctification process of becoming more and more like Christ. In the remaining two sessions this afternoon... I'm going to talk about the judgment. In 1844, October 22, the judgment began. And that's about the extent of what most Adventists know about the judgment. What little they do know strikes fear into them. If you come this afternoon, we're going to deal with the fear factor. Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Next, after that, we're going to deal with why Jesus waits. Were you aware that the sanctuary actually reveals the reason for the delay in the second coming? It does. And we will look at that. I pray that you heard the Lord this morning. May the Lord bless each of you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.